Psalm 47, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the shout of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of God, the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Let's see here our uh, sermon today. We're going to be in Exodus 12. I'm going to read you uh, verses 21 through 28. And I don't want you to be nervous. It's entitled, What Do You Mean by This Service? Okay, so uh, Exodus 12, starting in verse 21. <laughs> then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lentil in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Egyptians. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, passed over the house. I can't read where I'm at now. Passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. The night that I started typing this sermon, I got up at about 12 a.m. or so, as I always do, to finish the night downstairs. Some of you guys know why I do that, and uh, if you don't, the reason why I do it isn't important. But I can say that when I get down there each night, I do enough things before lying down that I don't fall right back to sleep. Instead, my thoughts will wander through the events of the day or whatever else is on my mind. And as I was thinking about the sermon typing of that day, which is this sermon, a few thoughts came to mind. As of November of 2014, the entire Bible is now translated into 531 languages, and 2,883 languages have at least a portion of it. That means that human minds are reading, studying, and contemplating the Bible in all of these languages. And certainly God is revealing different aspects of his word to different people based on their languages. I'm convinced that different languages will open the Bible in different ways. Knowing or at least being able to study the Bible in the original languages does have unique benefit. But the concepts, pictures, and eternal truths which are drawn out from this book are not limited to those languages. However, there is a uniqueness that is in the biblical languages that will reveal things that cannot otherwise be drawn out through other languages. And that's why it's important to at least study those original languages. God has hidden marvelous clues concerning his son, his plan of redemption, and the pictures which they point to in those languages. And as always, today I'm going to give you highlights of the Hebrew language which are unique and which cannot be discerned from any English translation. And why can I do that? Because they are available to anybody and everybody via the internet. And so, as I lay there thinking about his word, I thought, how blessed we are here today. We have not just one version in English, but we have somewhere around 900 English versions of the Bible. We have thousands of tools for studying the word. We have all of the combined commentaries of more than 2,000 years of scholars, pastors, and theologians. This is, right now, the most biblically blessed age in all of human history. And yet, modern sermons may expand on biblical truths, but not on biblical insights. And many hardly even expand on biblical truths. 
The airwaves are awash with feel-good, pre-written sermons which can be bought online or found in one of a thousand sermon layout books which have been printed to help pastors not worry about exerting any real effort in their weekly responsibility. Instead, they take what someone else has done, they add in a few personal life applications, and they get back to other more important things. I was given dozens and dozens of sermon prep books before I started preaching, and I have never used one. In fact, they all went into the recycle. Going through the Bible one verse at a time, line by line, is sermon work in and of itself. As I will never go through these particular verses again in my life, I want these sermons to be a record of my love and my respect for this eternal gift we call the Holy Bible. And your attendance each week is a similar mark of respect for the one who gave us this treasure. May the Lord be glorified through our pursuit of his superior word. Our text verse today comes from Isaiah 66. It's verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Of all of the wonders which fill our universe, there is a certain place where the Lord finds pleasure. Heaven is filled with his glory as he occupies his throne. The earth is adorned with evidences of his tender care. It is a blue pearl in the midst of a swirling universe of majestic wisdom. And yet, with all of the splendor which is seen here, he calls our home his footstool. To him, it's just simply a place where he can rest his feet. By his knowledge, all things exist in heaven and on earth. But yes, there is a certain place where the Lord finds pleasure. Where is it? Well, he just told us. It is in the one who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at his word. Imagine that. In all the glorious magnificence of heaven and earth, he regards such a person. This is how important the Holy Bible is to him. And this is how favorably he regards the one who holds it in high esteem. Let us never fail to do so. Instead, let us love it, pursue it, cherish it, and tremble at it. Just as we would tremble at the sight of his own majestic face. Let us so regard this wondrous gift. Great marvels are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is hyssop and blood. It's verses 21 and 22. From verse 20 to 21, we have been transported from one time frame to another. In verses 1 through 20, the instructions anticipated the coming of the Passover and were probably given before or during the plagues of locusts and darkness. Now in verse 21, we have been forwarded in time to the day of the Passover for the final instructions of this great and monumentous event. Verse 21, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, In verse 3 of this chapter, the Lord spoke these words to Moses. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. In that verse, Moses was told to speak to all the congregation of Israel. In this verse, he only summons the elders. The implication is that, as often occurs, the representatives of the people speak to the people as mediators. When the CEO of a company speaks to his staff, they in turn pass the words on to their subordinates and so on down the line. However, he is said to speak to the entire company when he actually only speaks to a handful of people. This is the same way that Moses is speaking to the congregation now. He speaks to the elders, meaning the chiefs of the tribes, and they will in turn speak to those below them. In this way, the entire congregation will quickly get the message that is to be conveyed. And the message contains words which anticipate their release. Verse 21 continues, pick out and take lambs for yourselves. The words are, mishku ukehu lachem tson, draw and take to you the flock animal. The Hebrew is ambiguous here, and it could mean one of two things. Go and take your flock animal or withdraw from the flock your animal. 
If this is the day of the Passover, which the text implies, the first is surely correct. They had been told to have the animal ready on the 10th and then to slaughter it on the 14th. As this is the 14th of the month, the day of the Passover, Moses is not asking them to go get an animal, but to go get the animal which had already been selected. Verse 21 going on, according to your families. This direction and its explanation was given in verse uh, 12, 4. It said, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. According to your families means that the animal which had been selected was designated for a certain number of people, which may have included people from other families. The reason for the repetition will be realized in the next verse because it is something that wasn't explained before. Verse 21 continuing, and kill the Passover lamb. Let's do some learning from these few words about Bible translations, all right? I'm going to read you six different versions, the translation of those few words right there. The first, the New King James Version, and kill the Passover lamb. Then the New Literal Translation, and slaughter the Passover animal. From Young's Literal Translation, and slaughter the Passover sacrifice. From Dewey Rhymes, and sacrifice the phase. From the King James Version, and kill the Passover with a small p. And then from the World English Bible, and kill the Passover with a capital P. And kill the Passover lamb, New King James Version. It inserts the word lamb for what they believe is clarity. But the word for lamb in the earlier part of this verse is tzom. It means an animal of the flock. And so it could be a lamb or a goat, which we saw explained in a previous sermon. They have made an assumption that they believe adds clarity, but it's not wholly correct. Further, as we will see, the word Passover is used in a special way. The insertion does not convey the intent of the verse. Minus for them. The next one, the New Literal Translation, and slaughter the Passover animal. The New Literal Translation gets the terminology better than the New King James Version because tzon is an unspecified animal. It could be either a lamb or it could be a goat. And so animal is clearer, but the insertion is still unwarranted. I'd give them a minus. The next one, and slaughter the Passover sacrifice. Young's literal translation explains the Passover as a sacrifice. Although not incorrect, that word doesn't exist in the original. If one understands the Bible in context, the word sacrifice is unnecessary. It is a learning tool, which is not inappropriate, but not necessary for one schooled in the feast. The Dewey Rhymes says, and sacrifice the phase. It uses an obsolete word for Passover. It's actually a very good translation, but the word that they use for us is obsolete. The etymology of the word is from the Latin translation of the Hebrew, and so it's not incorrect. The word phase, which means phase, stage, or aspect, may be tied to the moon, which is in full phase on this night, the 14th of the month, leading into the 15th of the month. The next one, and kill the Passover, small p. The King James Version terminology is correct. The word Passover is applied to the lamb itself. Therefore, the word is put in place for the sacrifice being offered. This is comparable to what is said in 1 Corinthians about the rock. Here Paul writes these words. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The word rock is substituted for and yet means Christ. One word is given to mean both. This is the intent here with the word ha-pasach, or the Passover. The word means the animal to be sacrificed, which in turn signifies the entire feast. However, the King James Version is still not complete. The reason is that they wrote it with a small p when in fact it is a proper noun and should be capitalized. And so let's go to one more translation. And kill the Passover, capital P. The World English Bible gets the gold star for literal intent, clarity, and grammar. They capitalized the P on Passover. Now, I hope you enjoyed this minor excursion into Bible translators' preferences and think that's just a couple words in a Bible that's this big. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? How these translations can affect other areas of Bible knowledge. And the reason for all of this is because of what the Passover symbolizes. The answer is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's 
what I'm going to read you, and I'm going to read you from the New American Standard Bible. For Christ, our Passover also has been sacrificed. The reason for the minute detail of what the Hebrew is actually saying is because of what the Hebrew is actually picturing. In the end, it's all about Jesus. Today, I'd like you to take time and read 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, in as many translations as you can find. And there, you're actually going to see a wide range of variations. I chose the NASB because it most accurately reflects what the original Greek says. Verse 22, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop. Here is something new which was not mentioned in the earlier verses explaining the ritual. The people are now told that they are to take a bunch of hyssop with which to apply the blood. This was not previously stated. The word bunch is the word agudah. It's the first of four uses of this word in the Bible. It means a band, such as a band of men. The reason for telling you this is that it isn't just a single piece of hyssop, but a bunch of hyssop. The blood was to be heavily splattered on the doorposts and the lintel. The directions are specific. The blood is to be evident. The word hyssop that we use today comes from the Hebrew word, actually, through the Greek. The Greek says husopos, and this is actually a transliteration from the Hebrew etzrov. And you can hear the similarity between the Hebrew and the English, etzrov, hyssop. It is an herb which is native to the Middle East and elsewhere. It has antiseptic, cough-relieving, and expectorant properties, which I could use today, as you know. So... Because of this, it is used as an aromatic herb and for medicine. It's a brightly colored shrub with dark green leaves. During the summer, it produces bunches of pink, blue, or even more rarely, white, fragrant flowers. The hyssop is mentioned only 10 times in the entire Old Testament, and with but one exception, which is in 1 Kings chapter 4, it is consistently used in connection with purification. In one of the most moving psalms of the Bible, the 51st Psalm, David pours out his heart to the Lord over his sin before the Lord. He had gone into another man's wife, and then he had her husband killed to cover up the act when she became pregnant. In complete remorse for his actions, he penned this Psalm, the 51st Psalm, which includes these words in the seventh verse. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David understood the significance of the hyssop and included these words, understanding that if he was not so purified, he would be cut off from his people just as his predecessor Saul was. But the Lord looked on his heart with favor and purified him. However, the hyssop finds its ultimate fulfillment not in the Old Testament, but in the New. The hyssop of the Passover from Egypt only prefigured the hyssop of the true Passover. The words are recorded in John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had re received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In Exodus, the hyssop applied the blood to the openings of the door. In John 19, the hyssop was applied to Jesus' mouth, the opening of the door, as he himself called himself. It is a prophetic announcement that the only way to be saved is through him. The hyssop, then, is a symbol of his work, the word and the spirit, as explained by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 27 through 20, 25 through 27. He said, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The Passover of Egypt only looked forward to our greater Passover from sin. Thank God for Jesus Christ, our true and eternal purifier from all iniquity and unrighteousness. Verse 22 continues, Dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. The word basin here is saf. It means a cup or a bowl, but it also has the secondary meaning of threshold. This is the first time that it is used in the Bible, and it is used twice in this verse. The repetition of the word has intent. The cup holds what is in the cup. 
in Zechariah chapter 12, the same word, saf, is used to describe Jerusalem as a cup of drunkenness. In Jerusalem will be God's fury against the nations. It says there, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. The same thought is found in the Exodus account. The cup holds the blood, and the blood is what withholds God's wrath. Therefore, the cup and what it contains is not only symbolic of protection for those who possess it, but they are symbolic of God's wrath for those who don't. The war against Jerusalem of the future is in no small way depicted here in the book of Exodus. The secondary meaning of this word, saf, as I said, is threshold. The word is used in the same way as it is here in Exodus as it is in the book of Zephaniah, where it says this, Flocks will lie down in her midst. All beasts which range in herds, both the pelican and the hedgehog, will lodge in the top of her pillars. Birds will sing in the window. Desolation will be on the threshold, Saf, for he has laid bare the cedar work. Therefore, we are being shown that theologically it becomes a symbol of God's presence in holy power or judgment. Through the use of the blood in the basin, there at the threshold of the house, God's power to save and his righteous judgment are being depicted. Verse 22 continues, And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. This is a second new addition from the earlier explanation of the Passover, and it explains why the words, according to your families, were repeated. Whoever came into the house to share in the meal was expected to stay in the house and not leave. They were not to go back to their own house after eating, but to stay put. Those who were selected to join the family meal were considered as a part of the house until the plague was accomplished. What it should indicate to us is that any, any redeemed by the Lord should be considered as close to us as our own family. They have been passed over and are now a part of a greater family. Unfortunately, this is not yet realized in the world today, in the fellowship of believers. And it won't be fully realized until we stand in the presence of the Lord and forget all of our, our petty differences. Those who awaited the Lord's deliverance in Egypt and those of us who await its fullness now can take the advice of Jeremiah that he gave during the destruction which occurred all around him. There he was in Jerusalem watching it be destroyed. And he wrote these words in Lamentations. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The world is falling apart all around us and we need to hope and wait quietly and among our true family until we have been brought out from this place of trouble. The sweet smell of hyssop fills the air. A bright crimson stain of blood surrounds the door. A testimony that a lamb has died there. From his undefiled body the blood did pour. Innocent and pure, why did the lamb have to die? Wasn't there any other way for us to be free? Oh God, my heart out to you does cry. How could the precious lamb have died for one such as me? Where can such love be found? How can it be true? Did the creator really send his own son to Calvary to bring back to himself people such as me and you? Where can such love be found? Tell me, how can it be? Our second thought today is for you and your sons forever. Verses 23 through 25. Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Based on the coming words of this verse, scholars will say that the Lord doesn't actively destroy the firstborn of the Egyptians. But this portion of the verse is very clear. Moses says that Jehovah, the Lord, will pass through to strike them. Thus, there is no reason to think that he merely passed through to strike and then gave the job of striking to another to actually be accomplished. Rather, the Lord struck the Egyptians, he struck the nation of Israel when they were in disobedience, and he will strike the nations when he returns at his second coming. So much for this peaceful picture of Jesus everybody is trying to portray all over the world today. He is righteous, he is holy, he is just, and he will judge in righteousness, and it says he's going to strike the nations. So we all need to be careful how we treat this wondrous Lord. Verse 23 continues, And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. It is the blood and only the blood which can protect those inside the house. The Lord would pass over any door with the blood. If a family of Israel didn't believe it was necessary, they too would suffer in the plague. Nothing but the blood can save. It is an eternal truth concerning Christ which is pictured in this ancient event. Without receiving Christ through belief in his work, there can be no redemption, 
Only the fear of death and condemnation awaits. Verse 23 continues, and not allowed the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. The word the destroyer or ha mashkit, the word is shachat, and it means to destroy. The definite article ha in front of it is what brings it to life. Ha mashkit, the destroyer. Scholars attempt to find every possible way of disassociating the destroyer from the Lord. But there is a reason for this. As the pulpit commentary notes, and as I have already said, it is to be noted that elsewhere, Jehovah himself is everywhere spoken of as the sole agent. He is the one that saves and he is the one that destroys. And this is correct. And evidence is found for it in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, it says, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. However, there's a definite article in front of death there as well. It says the death. Paul is personifying death, showing that it is a result of an action. This then takes us all the way to the very end of the Bible, where in Revelation chapter 20, it says this, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death, with a capital D in the New King James Version, and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There, in both instances, death is again personified, just as it is here in Exodus. The destroyer is death, the result of the Lord's judgment. It is not an entity in itself, but the result of a work accomplished. Not intending to change the word of God, but just so you can understand the intent here, we could paraphrase this verse by saying, the Lord will pass over the door and not let the death, which is in the land of Egypt, come into your houses to strike you. Verse 24, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. The ordinance here is not speaking of the sprinkling of the blood. This was never again repeated in Israel's history. Rather, it is speaking of the precept of the blood of the sacrifice and the observance of the Passover as a commemoration of redemption. As curious as it might seem, Moses has been speaking in the plural all along during these verses. But suddenly he changes to the singular form in the middle of this verse. He says, you plural this are to do this and you plural that are to do that. However, it now says, you plural shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you, singular, and your singular sons forever. The only commentator who even mentioned this said, perhaps we are to understand that Moses insisted on the perpetuity of the ordinance to each of the elders severally. But that doesn't make any sense because he's talking to all of them. Instead, I believe it's a picture of individual salvation. What is being said is, you people, all of you, shall observe this thing as an ordinance to you, a personal ordinance, and your every individual sons. In the Hebrew, there's a dash known as a makef between the words as an ordinance and for you. This dash works in the same way as a dash in English. It unites the two words so that they become one in intent. Every person individually must participate within the group. In other words, it is a personal ordinance within the collective. Each person is obligated to observe the feast. It is a picture of our salvation. In the church, we have to personally receive Jesus Christ. There are no tag-along Christians united through the family, but not through Christ. Even the Old Testament gives us hints as to how God operates towards his people. It is by grace and through faith we are saved in all dispensations of time. Verse 25, it will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. The Passover was to be a perpetual memorial every year at its time. After they entered Canaan, which was promised to them through their fathers, they were to continuously and faithfully observe the rite. Assuming control of the land did not end the need for the Passover. Instead, it necessitated it. The Lord was to be proven faithful in the land grant, and therefore the people were to be faithful in the keeping of the ordinance. Should they go from the land into exile, they would still be obliged to perform the Passover because even in exile, they were promised to receive the land once again. Therefore, the annual rite was never, never to be neglected, but it was to be a reminder and a tutorial for the next generation concerning the work of the Lord on their behalf. The rite of the Passover is the longest continually observed such rite in the world today. 
It has carried Israel as a people for 3,500 years. And yet, it's an observance which they missed the significance of when it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As Matthew Henry says, the keeping of the solemnity every year was, one, to look backward, that they might remember what great things God had done for them and their fathers. Old mercies to ourselves or to our fathers must not be forgotten, that God may be praised and our faith in him encouraged. And two, it was designed to look forward as an earnest of the great sacrifice of the Lamb of God in the fullness of time. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. His death was our life. For every Jew who comes to know the Lord, the observance takes on a new and a wonderful dimension to them. And for every son of Christ in the church, we look to the cross and observe it as our true Passover. Redemption has come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When proof that the Lamb has died is properly applied, then my promise, which is faithful and true, will be kept, and in you I will be glorified. My child, redeemed of the Lord, you have faithfully adhered to my word. And so the consequences of sin are gone at long last. The time when death has had its hold is now past. You have, been, you have moved from death unto new life. From the bars of iron and the chains of brass, I have set you free. Between us has ended all enmity and strife. Through my son, the lamb, you are reconciled to me. Our third thought, recounting the deeds of the Lord, verses 26 through 28. Verse 26, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? The rituals of the Passover were both explicit and unusual. Every sense would be affected by its observance. The smell of the lamb, the taste of the bitter herbs, the sight of the set table, the sound of the cracking matzah bread, and the physical sensations associated with conducting the rite into the night would all be impressed upon every mind who participated. Eventually, the children would get old enough to want to know why they were observing this rite. Papa, what does it all mean? It was the intent of the Lord that it would be held infrequently enough so that it would not get caught up in the ordinary and yet frequently enough to allow Israel to be in eager anticipation of its return. The memories of the previous year would be just fresh enough for the child to say, we've done this sometime before and now we're doing it again. It is comparable to our own observances throughout the year. We learn to eagerly anticipate them because they're not too frequent to get tired of, but they're not too distant that there's no hope of that day finally arriving. And when the day arrives, think of the children around the Christmas tree and all the presents. We have stories to explain their origin and why we observe them. If we talk about these in secular holidays, such as the 4th of July, which we did downtown a couple weeks ago, how much more should we talk about them on the more important Christ-centered ones? And with each observance, the details shouldn't be overlooked. If they are, then the true nature of the observance gets replaced with unhealthy traditions. Christmas has lost much of its meaning because we have failed to pay heed to what it originally meant. To the Jews, the Passover never took on its proper significance because it became to them an observance of how much the Lord loved them instead of how they should have loved the Lord. Only in the cross of Christ can the Passover take on its fullest meaning. Matthew Poole warns us about losing our religious heritage by not being wise in our spiritual observances. He says, God expects this even from the Jewish children and much more from Christian men, that they should inquire and understand what is said or done in the public worship or service of God, and therefore not to rest in dumb signs whereof they neither inquire nor know the meaning or in the service of God in a language which they understand not. In the years leading up to the Reformation, rites were conducted in Latin, and dumb signs had replaced directed love and devotion. The Reformation brought the church back to Christ. But once again, he's being lost to so many. We have tradition, we have tradition, and we don't have Christ. He has become an idol of prosperity, licentiousness, sexual immorality, and social reform to many instead of being our holy sacrifice and our means of purification from sin and iniquity. Verse 27, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. Zebach Pesach Hu Le Yehovah. Sacrifice, Passover, 
it to the Lord or to Jehovah. This is an emphatic statement and it is the most formal and precise description of it which has been given. But the question is, what does it describe? Is it speaking of the whole ritual or is it speaking of the animal of the ritual? The answer must be the animal because the animal pictures Christ and the service that we conduct for in our Christian life is for Christ. It's not for the ritual which surrounds it. The term sacrifice is what draws out the meaning. There are formalities associated with any sacrifice, but it is the sacrifice which defines the formalities, not the other way around. The Passover sacrifice had its formalities. The sin offering had its own as well. Each sacrifice was meant for a certain purpose, and the formalities were given in conjunction with the sacrifice. A life will be taken as a substitute. When the proof of the death of the animal is presented, there will be a result which follows, which is verse 27 continuing. Who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. Every detail of the Passover rite has pictured the greater work of Christ. Not a detail has been given which fails to show forth what he did. Israel was to slaughter an animal and eat it after putting its blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. We have been instructed by the Lord to take and eat. This is my body. Once we have applied the blood of the cross to our own lives. Israel was passed over in mercy. Egypt was struck with a mortal blow. We are passed over in mercy. The world who rejects Christ will perish. The Passover animal stopped being sacrificed when the temple was destroyed. I don't know if you know that, but they never use an a, a lamb during their Passover. AD 70, the temple was destroyed, and for 2,000 years, the Jews have observed the Passover without it. However, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper has been faithfully observed by true believers in a continuous manner for those same years. There have been no gaps in the true praises of God among his people, but they have come from different lips and different hearts during the wanderings of the Jews. The final ultimate Passover lamb died so that we could continue to sing his praises for all eternity. Soon, our time here is going to be finished and Israel will come to know what they had missed. Salvation is of the Lord and the Lord is Jesus. Verse 27 continues, so the people bowed their heads and worshiped. The people here at first seems to imply the elders who came before Moses. But these people surely went back through their cities and their areas where they lived and they told the masses and the worshiping must have flourished in Goshen like flowers in the springtime. This is the first time that this sentiment has been seen since all the way back in Exodus 4 verse 31. I mean, we've gone through dozens of sermons since then, but those words still ring out. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses then he did the signs in the sight of the people, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. There was a time when they believed the word of the Lord and the message from Moses, but they fell away because of their hard bondage. Now, with the very hour of their deliverance at hand, they once again bow their heads and worship. This act, among other things, surely signifies their agreement to the annual ordinance thankfulness for their coming freedom, gratitude for the surety that they were God's people and that he had been faithful to his promises to them, and joy at the anticipation of all that the exodus implied. Are these traits also traits that each one of us stores in our own heart as we come to take the Lord's table each week? These things were fulfilled in an earthly sense for Israel, and they are fulfilled in a greater spiritual sense for us. Their redemption was for relief from pains of the body, Ours is for relief from pains of the spirit. Their redemption came about by a meal involving an earthly animal. Ours came about in partaking of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly Lord. Their redemption allowed them to go from bondage in Egypt to freedom in Canaan. Ours has brought us out from the bondage of sin and death, and it guarantees us eternal freedom in heaven. In all ways, the Passover of Christ is superior to the Passover of Moses a Passover which only looked forward to that of Christ. Therefore, let us be loyal to the one who directs us through his word, filled with thanks for the freedom we possess, grateful for the bond which exists between our creator and us, 
and filled with joy at the anticipation of our heavenly calling and assured eternal walk in his presence. All because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our final verse today is verse 28. Then the, Lord, then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. The disbelief which permeated the people after their initial meeting with Moses has been replaced with absolute certainty in him after seeing the nine great plagues which had by this time fallen on Egypt. The stubborn defiance by the officers of the Hebrews towards Moses is now replaced with gratitude and certainty. The people who complained about their hardships are now reveling in the prospect of freedom. This is the Passover. This is the time of God's favor. Today, today is the day of salvation. The bondage has come to an end. This is the message that the Hebrews had received, and they were ready to follow up on that message with action. They would slaughter the Passover, they would apply the blood, and they would await their release. And here we are today, finding out that the Passover of Israel is only a picture of a greater Passover for each one of us. The lamb that was slain is Jesus. The blood that was applied evidenced his death. And the judgment, which rightfully should have been ours and fallen on us, was taken out on him. Only Jesus can take us out of spiritual Egypt and restore us to the presence of God. This is the message of the Bible, and this is the word which has gone forth. If you have never received this gift of God's love and grace, be sure to do so today. Now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Let me tell you what you need to know in order to be saved from the wrath to come. And I mean it is coming and probably soon. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him could be saved. The perfect lamb of God, the one who was born without sin and who lived without sin, is all being prefigured by these ancient stories from almost the time of the creation of the world. And they were all pointing to someone who is coming, someone who is coming, promised by God himself. And he arrived, and he lived that perfect life that you and I could never live. And he gave it up on a cross in exchange for what we deserve. That little lamb in Egypt, you know, you've ever seen a little lamb, how cute they are, how precious they are? Imagine cutting its throat and watching its blood pour out and saying, that's because of me. That's because of me that that animal is dying. Think of it. Now think of Jesus. Perfect in all ways. A human being. And he died because of my sin. Boy, I tell you what, it all brings it home when we think of the cute little lamb. And then we put it right at the base of the cross of Calvary. And we see what he did. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I know that I can't be saved apart from you. And I call on you today, and I know that your word is true and that you'll lead me to my heavenly Father for all eternity. That's all you need to do is just ask Jesus to forgive you, and God will pass over you. When he comes to the world in righteous judgment, you will be passed over. Our closing verse today is from Hebrews 11. It's the 28th verse. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. This closing verse is from Hebrews 11, the great hall of fame of faith found in the Bible. God acknowledged Moses' faith because of the sprinkling of the blood, and he will do the same in your life as well if you will but receive his gift. Do it today. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Next week is Exodus 12. It's verses 29 through 36. Egypt will wail and Egypt will mourn. It's entitled the plague on the firstborn. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Our poem today is, What do you mean by this service? Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop the blood that is in the basin, you shall dip it in and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall out of the door go out of his house until morning as I have instructed so. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when the blood there he sees on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the blood which is holy wrath does appease. The Lord will pass over the door as he said he would do and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you.
And you shall observe this thing, forgetting never, as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land, which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, please understand, that you shall keep this service, just as he is instructed to do. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Tell me this, that you shall say it is the Passover. To the Lord it is a sacrifice we are never to miss. He passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, leaving many dead, and delivered our households as we today continue to tell. So the people worshipped as each bowed his head. Then the children of Israel did so after they went away, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did on that day. The story of the Passover is a truth found in God's word, but it is only a picture for us to see so much more. It was meant to look forward to Jesus, our great Lord, when his sacrifice once again opened heaven's door. Israel was brought out of bondage in Egypt, the land, but we too have been brought out from sin's stronghold. By the work of Jesus, a deed mighty and grand, it is a story which will forevermore be told. How can we but praise you, our majestic king? How can we but share the wondrous gospel story? Forevermore the redeemed of the Lord will sing of our sweet Savior, clothed in light and splendid glory. Yes, we praise you now, O God, and even for all eternity. Our hearts long to see you, Lord, in all of your majesty. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the Lamb, Jesus. It's so hard to think that what we have done as human beings, the wicked things that we brought into our lives and we've committed in your presence are what necessitated the death of your own son. You stepped out of eternity to make it all right. But it doesn't take away the astonishment that we have at what you did. It's unbelievable, Lord. It's simply amazing what you did in the person of Jesus Christ, reconciling us to you through his shed blood. Thank you for that. Thank you for these pictures which show us these things. Thank you for it. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord, I would pray for each person here. We've got people traveling in the week ahead. We've got quite a few that won't be here next Sunday. I would pray for them that you would take good care of them and bring them back here safely. I pray that each person here would cling to your word, that would cherish your word, and let the glory of Jesus Christ radiate out of your word onto their faces so that they shine with your glory as they go into this world and tell other people about the salvation which is found in him and the sure wrath which is coming if they don't receive that gift. Lord, we love you. We praise you, we exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. We get the instructions for the Lord's Supper directly from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, there Paul writes these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said these words. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohinu, Melech HaOlam, Hamotzi Lechem, Min HaAretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed this as well. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Peri HaGuffin. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Life goes on. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this table. Thank you for what it signifies. And today's passage, if none other, sure brings it close to home. We're proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Thank you for the death. And thank you for the resurrection, which proves that the death is ended. And in us, the destroyer will pass over. How glorious is that for undeserving us. We love you and we praise you, Lord Jesus. We exalt you. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>